Welcome to Employed, a podcast about careers, from minimum wage to six-figure incomes, high school diplomas to PhDs, you'll hear stories from different professionals, their everyday work life, and what it took to get there. Whether you're at a point of having to make a career choice, or you simply like to hear what others are passionate about, Employed is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and today we are talking with Jared, who works in higher education. That at the beginning, these bagpipes are leading them up into campus. You know, their families are watching them go into what the next four years are going to hold. And then four years later, these same type of bagpipes and the same type of music and everything else is now bringing them down the hill out of campus with those caps and gowns on, those different chords and all of these things, recognizing the the hard work that they put in. So thank you so much, Jared, for joining me tonight. Can you just kind of introduce yourself a little bit and tell everyone what you do? Sure. So my name is Jared, and I have worked in higher education for my entire career. Uh, I started working in an admissions office, so working with students that were applying and looking to join uh, the institution, uh, and did that for uh, about 18 years and then transitioned just eight months ago to a new role on the other side uh, to where instead of helping students come into uh, an institution, uh, I'm helping them as they leave. I've moved over to career services, uh, but more specifically, I am an employer relations manager. So working with those uh, companies and and organizations that would like to recruit students that are then graduating from college and looking for that first step in their career. For the listeners, you are based out of the Midwest right now uh, in Indiana. Correct. So I'm in, uh, I'm in Southern Indiana. Uh, I grew up out West. So I grew up in California and Arizona. Uh, the other side of the Mississippi river might as well have been the moon growing up. Uh, you know, I was that kid growing up who said, dude, every other word. Uh, but now, you know, uh, met a, a girl in college uh, who was from Southern Indiana and, uh, I was a souvenir she brought home from college, and uh, we, we've we've been here ever since. How did you get into this field? Was this always a career path you had intended on, or what led you to this point? So it, it probably wasn't something that I was intending on. Uh, I think a lot of it derived from the fact that I wasn't really prepared for choosing a college myself. Uh, and so when I was an undergraduate student completing my degree, Uh, I ended up working as a student in the admissions office, giving tours, actually it was in the mailroom first, but then ended up uh, giving tours and helping students to kind of learn about what it is that occurs uh, at at that university. And so they could hopefully be able to be armed with information that I definitely was not armed with. Uh, I just chose the college I went to initially based on the fact my parents went there and I was a big fan of the football team, which are two horrible reasons for choosing any institution. Uh, so uh, to be able to help students be better uh, prepared for going into a place uh, was kind of what drove me to higher ed. And I really enjoyed that, found you know, great value in seeing students find uh, the place that would be right for them, uh, that fit that would be most appropriate. And now it's, it's kind of a similar thing. Uh, to where I'm working with students. You know, I, I was working with a student, a graduate. She graduated back in May. She's kind of still in the hunt and was able to help her 
connect with a company that is looking to hire somebody for the exact type of role that she's always wanted. And so even though it took a little bit of time to find that connection, you know, I'm, I'm still able to find fit uh, for other people. And uh, there, there's definitely some, some great satisfaction that comes from it. Yeah, this sounds like it must be a very rewarding job, both when you were helping students enter the institution and now leaving, you're really assisting younger adults on two very pivotal decisions of their lives. So that's, that must be really rewarding to kind of be a part of all of that. Yeah, and, you know, for, for about a decade of my career, I was actually over international admissions. So it even meant leaving their home country, you know, going to the other side of the globe. Uh, to a place they've never seen based on information that I'm able to provide. Uh, and so, you know, to, to be able to myself travel and see the world and interact with these students and help make sure that the message they received from me matched their experience uh, was, was a really neat opportunity. Can you touch on that a little bit on what that experience was like? Were you required to know, have a little bit of understanding of foreign languages or what countries were you visiting and what were those interactions like? Sure. You know, so when I took over that role of international recruitment director, the institution that I worked for was only going to one province in China. That was the extent of their international recruitment. And they were part of a consortium. There were about 14 universities that they would travel together with. Uh, and there was an organization over there in this province. It's actually Jiangsu province, just north of Shanghai in China. And I went on this first trip with this group and, you know, over the course of about six or seven days, we only visited three high schools to talk to students. And, you know, I had been traveling in the U.S. visiting schools and making trips for quite a while. And I had gotten to the point where I was visiting four or five schools per day. And so to come back from a trip where there was only three school visits over the course of nearly a week, I, I went back to the vice president and said, you know what, I think I can navigate this process of traveling alone. I don't need anyone helping me. Why don't we branch out and go and reach far more people? And he was hesitant at first. He said, let's do this group one more year, but why don't you go a little, go early this next time and see if you can make your way around China on your own. And, you know, which I think there was some wisdom in that, you know, let's, let's take small steps in in making big changes. Uh, And so in in doing that, I was able to go the next year, I was able to navigate uh, through all of the needs of getting from point A to point B to point C and on uh, without being able to speak Chinese. Uh, so there was a lot of preparation that had to go into every trip. I had to plan every single minor step. So every taxi ride, every train ride, every portion of the trip, even just one car ride, I had to have a translation into Chinese of where I was going, who they could contact if we got lost, the contact number. So, you know, there was a lot of work that went into it. I was able to come back and tell my boss that, you know what, we can do it. And uh, we went from one province, and that was, you know, the extent of their travel, to where I, I think the last count was uh, over 70 different stamps in my passport. What an experience. That's really neat. And that's, that's I bet, really amazing to see that growth as well. Yeah, yeah you know, I was, I was able to see parts of the world and interact with people that I never thought I would be able to. What kind of education or experience is required for, for your position? For an entry-level position, there, there has to be, in higher ed, at least a bachelor's degree. Now, if you want to take on some leadership roles, uh, now you're looking at graduate degrees, a master's degree in something. 
some jobs might require a specific degree area for the area that I started at in admissions, it was really just, you know, have a bachelor's degree, be able to help students navigate this process, um, having done it yourself at least, and then receive some training on how to, to talk about what happens at that institution. Whether you attended there or not, there's going to still going to be things for you to learn. And so it's going to start with, you know, going and, and receiving that, uh, that bachelor's degree first. Um, but if you want to get into leadership roles and, and helping to establish policy and strategy and um, dictate the tactics that would be taken in whatever that office's responsibility is, uh, you're going to need to have a master's degree. What are the general demographics of your workplace, specifically gender and age? Yeah, so, you know, one of the great things about higher ed is it, it doesn't have as long of a history of male domination, uh, if that's a, a fair phrase, you know, there, there's still some aspects of institutions that might have been uh, different uh, for quite a while. The institution I work at now, its enrollment was all male until 1995. So they're only 25 years uh, as co-ed, but you know, obviously it was the best decision they ever made to, to make that change and be able to say, you know, we don't care who the student is, we just want the best students. We don't care where, where he or she is from, who her or his parents were. You know, we just want the best students in these areas that, that we're teaching. And, uh, to be able to just kind of open that up and, and say, if you're good at this, we want you here, uh, has allowed the, the institution to grow quite a bit. And so that is, of course, extended into who is working there uh, in terms of faculty, in terms of administration, in terms of staff. Uh, you know, you look at the office, either in the admissions office or in the current office I'm in now, uh, there's more women working in the office in leadership and colleague roles you know it's not just a situation where you know we're talking about an administrative assistant and that's where all the women are working no this is uh, very much a, a you know a diverse and open experience uh, and I think you find that very well across higher ed. Uh, again, you might find some exceptions, but I think, again, that would be, an, like I said, an exception to the rule rather than the rule. And so with, with regards to age, it depends on the office. If you're in an admissions office, you're going to see a lot of younger people um, just because there is kind of that road warrior mentality of, you know, being out and visiting schools. And, you know, in, in the fall, they're traveling for maybe seven, eight, nine weeks straight, uh, you know, where they might leave on a Sunday, come back on a Thursday and be in the office only one day a week before they head out somewhere else uh, to be visiting schools. And so, you know, that kind of road warrior mentality, it's usually a younger demographic that will gravitate to that. Uh, but once you're over in student affairs and dealing with the current students and uh, like where I'm at and, and helping to have them navigate the job search process after graduation or obtaining an internship or whatever, uh, because we're now interacting with employers. Uh, you know, I, I've kind of moved from the 17 year old demographic being the folks I work with to then my own age group again, uh, because it's, you know, I, I'm with my peers because they're out, they're the ones that are now going to be recruiting these students. So, you know, I, I loved working with the high school students. I think it kind of kept me young for a while, um, but uh, you know, I now have, uh, you know, a son in college and a daughter that's about to head off in, in a couple of years. It's it's a different role when you treat the students like you're, you know, you're their parent uh, rather than just their advisor. And what is the typical range of salary that someone can typically expect to make uh, in your field? 
when you're talking about entry level in higher ed, it's going to depend on the position and it's going to depend on kind of what those uh, strategic things that the institution is going to emphasize. So, you know, if you're looking at admissions, um, the, the pay rate is going to be less than probably just about any other office uh, on a campus. What you'll find with that career field is the average career is three years, not just the average time with a given employer, but the average complete career is three years. Uh, and so because of that, you have this mentality of administration to where they know that, okay, if you leave, there's just going to be somebody else coming in behind you. Uh, and so the, the pay is not going to be, you know, it, you're going to be salaried, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to have a decent start, um, probably mid to upper 30s is, is where you're, you would be starting. But, you know, it's not going to be a situation where you're going to be pushing six figures uh, in an admissions office unless you're rising to that director VP level um, with some advanced degrees behind your name. Uh, as far as student affairs, now you're getting into the situation where there's more specialized ability. There's a lot of institutional knowledge and history uh, that is uh, that is necessary to be able to help students be successful who are already there. Uh, and you know, so you'll see a, a better pay range uh, at that point to where you know, now, you know, you're, you're getting into 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, being more the range as opposed to the 30s and 40s. Do you find any special benefits to working in your field? For example, tuition incentives? So the, the tuition incentives are going to be different by institution. You know, it's a great question to ask. In some cases, the institution will uh, support the employee and further education. Sometimes the, if the employee then is married, the employee's spouse or partner can be able to, to draw from a benefit. Uh, and then, of course, many times the, the children of an employee uh, are also able to benefit. So I mentioned how my son is currently in college. He's a sophomore at the institution I work at, and uh, it, there's no tuition cost for him. Uh, and you know, we're talking about an institution that uh, normally the, the full tuition cost is uh, right around $50,000 a year. So for there to be this benefit of 50000 a year on top of what I earn, on top of the retirement, on top of the, the health care, uh, you know, the, the, the insurance and all of these things, you know, th that's a huge benefit. I mean, that's, that's almost like another salary just based on that per year. Uh, so the institution I also work at, they, they have a benefit for um, dependents to where if a child goes to any institution, there's a maximum amount. In this case, it's $40,000 that an employee can use for all of uh, her or his dependents towards tuition. So if like a child decides to go to another institution, not the one that I work at, depending on the cost of tuition, room and board, you know, $40,000 can go very, <laughs> go pretty quick, or, you know, it could, it could last for a while, depending on what, on what the fees are for that institution. So mm -hmm. th there's different things there that are, that are great benefits, but then there's, you know, professional development. Uh, there's, uh, again, you know, we have a, a health clinic right on site uh, to where I can just walk in um, after 3.30. So between 3.30 and 5, it's just walk-ins. Uh, so no copay, no additional cost in insurance, no, no deductibles, just be able to go in and, and see a you know, health care provider right there on campus. 
again, that's going to vary by institution, but you're, you're going to find, you know, fringe benefits, you're going to find retirement plans, you're going to find all these things uh, that are going to go beyond just the check you receive every month or every couple of weeks, whatever it might be. How is your progress measured and who are you managed by? The interesting thing with, with higher ed is it is very much a year to year experience whether it was admissions, it was, okay, what was the class that just came in? What is that freshman class going to be? How is it comprised? Where are they from? You know, what is the tuition revenue based on the financial aid that was offered? So, you know, that's a yearly thing. And so you have this obvious measurement in that case. Um, With what I'm doing now, of course, it's also a very annual thing. There are a set of seniors that are graduating every single May. And we have a responsibility to support them in their process of navigating the job search experience. And that percentage placed is, we're asked, it seems in the spring, we're asked every day by somebody else wanting to know exactly where we stand or a department wants to know just where their students stand. Uh, And so to, to be able to track and know what every single student is doing is actually a hallmark of what we do at the institution I'm at. Uh, Not many institutions are able to say down to every single student by name what that student is doing in terms of has she received an offer? Has he accepted that offer? What is this student going to be doing following graduation? Is it graduate school or is it this company? Uh, You know, I talked to a student today where we've been trying to get a hold of him for uh, several months uh, since graduation. And he finally called me and said, you know, I feel really bad about not letting you know. Uh, But I had a job fight it five days after graduation. You know, here it is five months later almost. (laughs) And, you know, I asked him, okay, what's the name of the company? Uh, What was the salary that was offered? Was there any negotiation? What was the accepted salary? How many vacation days are are you getting? So, you know, we're, we're getting very much into the details of what is happening with our students. And because of that, uh, there is a measurement, you know, how are we able to uh, help these students move on to the next step? With my role as employer relations manager, there's also the idea of how much are organizations engaging with campus? How many companies are coming to the three career fairs? How many companies are coming and holding info sessions on campus? Uh, How many companies are engaging with uh, senior project support and sponsoring? Uh, You know, all of these things are important to help companies become engaged with the campus as part of an overall recruitment strategy. Uh, and so seeing the, the, the interaction and, and uh, you know, how they're uh, coming and, and engaging these students, uh, there are measurements that, that then can be, you know, can be pulled. And you know, if there's something that's lacking, very quickly can hopefully make some adjustments. There is a director of the Office of Career Services that I work with in making sure that what should be happening in terms of employers is happening. Did you guys see a huge change in numbers this last spring after the shutdown as far as students getting hired on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we were actually on track for a record placement at graduation. Now, now, you know, we are normally very, very good at graduation. Again, accounting for every student and having the, the placement only be 
registered if it's relevant industry or if it's a graduate school program or if the student is commissioned as an officer after ROTC. Those are only, only three things we count as placed. Mm -hmm. And normally we're between 90 and 92% placed at graduation. So very, very good when compared to other institutions. We were on track for a record 95%. And when COVID hit, which was two and a half months before uh, our graduation, when you know still there's a lot of decisions being made uh, you know that's mid-march and we were already just a tick under 91 percent so we were going to easily be in that 95 96 percent it would have been the best year ever and of all the issues that have occurred because of covid this is not the you know there, there are far worse things that have occurred i mean people have died right. uh, but th there was some angst th there was some challenge we saw students who had offers to where they were delayed, then they were delayed again, and then they were canceled, and now the student had to start all over. Uh, and so our graduation, we were at 90%. We saw that dip down to about 84%. We're back up to 95% to at this point. So, you know, we kept working with students. And like I said, I'm still working with some students uh, to help them be able to, to work through this. But yeah, the, the economy was roaring. Mm -hmm. um, until the, the necessary shutdowns uh, occurred and you know everything had to kind of come to a screeching halt there for a time. Since you do have that, that small number of students that you know don't get job offers, how do you instill that motivation or how do you speak with those students that you know, just aren't getting those job offers and are trying? How do you keep them going and what do you say to them? You know, there are some things that you know I have to convey. And the number one thing is, look, the process works. Mm -hmm. I know it hasn't worked for you yet, but we know this process works. Not a single student in the history of our institution has ever failed to get a, a placement, a valuable placement after graduation. And, you know, in your case, it's just taking some more time. And we, and we kind of talk about maybe some parameters uh, that, that he or she has set. Sometimes a student, she might say, you know what, I'm only going to be in this city or this city, and mm -hmm. I only want to do this type of work. Well, you know, industry limitations and geographic limitations, uh, I'm not going to scoff at that. I mean, I, I want their dreams to come true, <laughs> you know, but sometimes they don't. And, you know, I, I've talked to some students in the last week where, you know, I've asked the question, okay, what industry are we really wanting to focus on? And now here we are, you know, nearly five months after graduation, what I'm getting is, it doesn't matter. I, I have this core interest, but I have skills that can apply to any industry. I just want to find a great opportunity. And then I say, okay, where are we talking? And they used to say, you know, only this city or this one. And now they're saying, you know what, I, I again, I just want the best opportunity. So, you know, there, there just comes a point where they just want to expand their, their uh, radius uh, in terms of what and where and and that helps move the needle a little bit uh, and and so just then helping them see the opportunities that are coming in uh, you know you look at the the height of uh, the covid and, and everything that kind of slowed everything down we we had about 1100 jobs posted and that sounds like a lot but but when you now look where we're at now uh, we're just under 5,000 jobs posted just for our students you know and we're an institution of only 2,000 you know, to, to be able to point them and say, look, there are opportunities, you need to make some small effort 
you know, every other day, getting into the system, checking and seeing what is new, what has been posted, what might fit with, uh, with what you would love to do. And then let's get some, you know, let's get a resume out. Let's, uh, you know, tweak it a little bit to make it match the, the position. And, you know, let's see if we can't make connections. Let's look up who, who works at that company, whether it's uh, alumni or whether it's, you know, people we don't even know that we can cold call. Um, but, but let's start making some connections as well. When you submit an application or a resume, you know, it's now artificial intelligence. It's machine learning um, programs that are analyzing a, a resume and trying to pull keywords out. And if you don't catch the keywords enough, it, you're never going to get out of the digital purgatory. Uh, and so sometimes getting human eyes to then go look for that resume because you've reached out proactively, uh, it might get out of that purgatory a lot sooner. What are your typical work hours before COVID if they've changed at all? So very much a Monday through Friday, eight to five. But you know, when you're working with students who are in class every day, uh, there are times when you need to do things in the evenings as well. I emceed a virtual info session for Texas Instruments, for Milwaukee Tool, for Collins Aerospace. You know, I've been able to to be there in the evenings and have some large room with socially distanced students sitting around um, viewing on a large screen this presentation from folks in a different part of the country. Before that would be just all in a presentation room, everyone together uh, with the company reps having traveled to campus. Uh, but it is definitely different right now. Can you walk me through an average day at your job? Yeah. So when I go in, one of the first things I do, of course, is I have to check email. You know, I, I want to be responding to correspondence, particularly from employers within uh, 24 to 48 hours and being able to set up conversations uh, so there's a large uh, engineering firm that just actually right before this podcast, we were, I was uh, exchanging emails with somebody because here I was, I was able to do it. But normally that'd be first thing in the morning, uh, setting up some, some appointments, answering emails, but then I get into our system that manages the, the job postings. Before jobs can be posted, the employer has to request approval from the institution. And I'm the one that approves it, those requests for our institution. So I have to go in and say, okay, is this somebody who does work in the areas that our students are studying to participate in, to, to move on towards? Uh, and because of the academic programs maybe not matching up with what a company does, they might not get approved. And so I end up approving, because the institution I'm at is, is pretty specialized in what we do, I end up approving only about... Oh, 40 to 45% of the requests. And so I go through all those approvals and then they post jobs and the administrative uh, assistant in the office, she'll actually go through all the jobs that are posted and then she approves those. So even the job has to match what it is that our students do. It can't just be anything from a given company. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but this allows you know students to be able to go to a list of opportunities that it's already been vetted twice, basically. So I go through that process with those companies. And then, you know, there'll be different projects and different events going on that, that I need to help plan. Uh, so Texas Instruments just did a, a virtual workshop where they actually shipped these uh, little motherboards, uh, these little uh, electronic boards that students could then be able to do uh, a, you know, a virtual lab, basically, where 
the TI engineers are working with them and they're able to do this. And, you know, it wasn't just the little motherboards that they've sent, but they've sent all sorts of company swag. So I'm, you know, trying to organize and have students come and pick this stuff up, you know, and make sure that they're, you know, understanding what it is that they'll be using and, you know, where they need to go to, to access the, the, the virtual feed and, you know, load them up with all the swag that the company sent. So uh, there's that. Usually in the afternoon is when I try to have my one-on-one -on -one, uh, counseling sessions and uh, help sessions with, with students or alumni. Uh, and uh, so I'll, I'll, you know, tomorrow I have four of those set up with uh, 2020 grads who are still, who are still in the hunt. Um, I'll also have meetings with colleagues, meetings uh, then with employers. Uh, I try to get employers in the morning. So, you know, tomorrow morning at, at 10 a.m., I, I have a, this large engineering firm that I was emailing with uh, just before this podcast. So it's a lot of people work. It's it's on the phone. It's writing emails. It's, uh, you know, virtual meetings. Eventually, the time will come where I'll be able to travel and go on site and be able to see what people actually do uh, in these jobs. And, you know, that'll be rewarding to be able to take that back, that first person perspective and say, you know, here's the type of opportunity that, that we're looking at. Right. And that that's a great segue into this next question. Um, I generally like to ask this question because, you know, some people like to to work in a job where they're always talking with others. And some people just kind of prefer to be in their own office and put their headphones in and work quietly. So this definitely caters to that first group it sounds like yeah yeah the particularly in career services i mean it it has to be a team effort you're trying to engage student you know people that are already really busy in something that really is necessary even though they might think that there's a lot of time to do it it goes by so quick with admissions you can find very much you know a lone wolf experience uh, you know, when you're traveling, you know, you're on your own. You might make friends with other uh, reps at other institutions. I, I remember one year when I uh, would travel in Michigan and Northern Indiana and some other places, there were, there were five of us. So, you know, we would be, we'd always try to plan our last high school visit at the same place and we'd go play golf. We'd go out to dinner, you know, so you, you would kind of find your group yeah. uh, that, you, that you'd be able to do stuff with because we're all on the road at the same time. Right. Uh, but, you know, if you don't find that, then you're very much going from, you know, high school visit to high school visit to maybe a college fair at night where you're interacting with a lot of people. But then you know, you're, you're going and you're eating dinner by yourself. You know, uh, there, there's very much a tradition in admissions that if you, when you get a hotel room, you get a room with two beds and one bed is your sleeping bed and the other bed is your eating bed. Uh, <laughs> what is the best day you've had at your job or what is the day that stands out to you that just made you feel really accomplished and that everything went well? When you're in admissions, the, the best day is when you finally get the entire class on campus. Every campus has different traditions as to how they welcome a new class uh, to their institution. We have a really neat tradition that um, kind of stands out to me with new students to where it's long been the tradition that when students are graduating and they're in their caps and gowns and they're, they're processing down to the large sports and recreation center where we hold the graduation ceremony, they're led by bagpipes. And that's been going on for decades and decades and decades. And it's a more recent addition to where we have a welcome meeting with these new, this new class. And what they've started doing is having the bagpipes lead them up into campus out of that meeting. And it, there's, there's a neat 
type of imagery there that at the beginning these bagpipes are leading them up into campus you know th their families are watching them go into what the next four years are going to hold and then four years later these same type of bagpipes and the same type of music and everything else is now bringing them down the hill out of campus with those caps and gowns on those different chords and all of these things recognizing the the hard work that they put in for the previous four years and so really seeing that bookend experience of the new class going up and then a class coming down uh, that that for an admissions at least for me in admissions that was the best day in career services uh, the, the best day there isn't a single day because it's all connected with students that have really been worried about where they're going to go next. They really had the first experience of kind of choosing their own path for the first time when they chose a college. Now they're really choosing, okay, what is grown-up time going to be? Where is it going to start? And there's, there's a lot of angst with that. But to then see students that are kind of anxious about it, when they do then come to you and say, you know what, this is where I'm going. I remember a young woman, uh, she was down to either going to a master's program in optical engineering where they were going to pay her about $30,000, or she applied for two positions at a major, well, it was Intel, this major chip producer. We all, we all know what Intel is. And she, she applied for standard entry level. Then she applied for a position that they were very strict normally that it required five to seven years of professional experience out of college. And so it was very much a stretch. Initially, she said, you know what, there's no way I'm really going to get that position. That's really what I want to do. I don't really want to do this entry level thing. So I'm going to commit to the grad school, but I'm still going to go to the interview, see what happens. And she went to the interview and she got that stretch position. And she, she had to have a, a hard conversation with the, the graduate program uh, reps that she was having to kind of rescind on her commitment there. But to then see her come, have that decision figured out that it's really what she wanted. And now she's going to get a car and she's going to drive out and she's going to go to the city where she's going to be working and living and find an apartment. And, you know, you're seeing these wings spread that have been developing for these four years. And you collect all of those things together. That adds up to a lot of good days. Looking back on my own college experience and the feelings that I had on, you know, that first day when they, they did freshman welcoming, you feel so anxious, but so excited and you're nervous and you're scared and all these emotions. But it really is such a pivotal moment, just the, the, the first day and graduation day and just getting to be a part of that. That has to be so much fun <laughs> and getting to see these guys grow up. That's really neat. So you've touched on this a little bit, but what, what are some challenges that you often face? You know, anytime you're in uh, an institution, there's going to be different challenges. Um, you know, there's going to be different people, different personalities. And, you know, sometimes there can be enough people that love an institution so much that the opportunity to maybe take on leadership roles is, is difficult. You see a lot of movement between higher education institutions just because very much you have to move out in order to move up and so you know if you come to love a place you need to accept this idea that you're going to be in a role that is probably going to be similar for a long period of time uh, because the people that you know might be the director or or otherwise uh, they also love the place 
And they also want to be there. And they also feel this strong connection that you feel. And because of that, uh, they're not going anywhere. And so this opportunity to move into a, a position and take on leadership may not be there. And so that was one of the challenges that I had to grapple with. Okay, do I go somewhere else, you know, move out to move up? Or do I stay in a place that I really believe does some great work? and where I can see that I bring some some definite value, whether my title matches with that or not. And so, you know, th- that's going to be a different decision for every single person. And I decided that as long as everyone was able to see the value that I brought, that's all that mattered to me. What is the end goal for someone in your position? Are you trying to work up to any promotions, if there are any? You know, I'm uh, actually going to be uh, completing a master's degree here in a short amount of time. Um, I've already oh, got wow. yeah, Congratulations. yeah uh, excited to, to, to do that. Actually, the the office that, that I work for has said that they, they want to pay for that. They want to see me obtain that, add to what I can bring to the office. And so to, to be able to find that support is really exciting. I'm in a role that has really not been done in the way that I'm being asked to do it now. It's, it's been very much an add-on to kind of a normal ad- mm-hmm. advisor role. I'm the, the first person to really kind of take this and see what it could be. Uh, similar to with the international admissions, you know, they're going, they're, they're thinking very small in what they're asking um, somebody to do with international admissions. And I was able to make that what it is now. I'm excited to kind of repeat that with what I'm doing now. And it might require that then a team grows just for the employer relations side, which would mean I would need to take on a leadership role that, uh, again, at a higher institution or organization would require a master's degree. So it's a a master of education and higher education with an emphasis on student affairs. And lastly, just for fun, if you could be doing anything else for a living and money and education were not factors, what would you be doing? Those that know me know that I feel I missed my calling as a young person. I've never been scared in the water. I've been in the ocean. I've been in lakes. I've been in rivers. I've been in pools. I've been in I've always loved the water. Growing up in Arizona and California, you just, you're always in the water just to to cool off in in many cases. And so, unfortunately, the A school for the Coast Guard did not start until basically the very late 80s, early 90s. And uh, because of that, I graduated high school in 1995. Uh, It just wasn't known. You know, there wasn't this idea that you could go and become a rescue swimmer, that you could be put into the water to help get people out. And so if I could go back, that is something that I would have at least tried to see if I could could become. It's the toughest school in the military, they say. And so, you know, there's no way for me to know, you know, I definitely couldn't do it now. I'm, I'm an old fat guy. Um, but when I was, you know, young and in shape, I, I would have loved to have um, put myself up against what would be asked to to take on that responsibility. Is there anything that you think you need to add for anyone who thinks they might be interested in pursuing, you know, a career in higher education? Many times people think that they can only work for the school that they went to. Don't get caught up in that. Of course, you can have a great career working for your alma mater and helping other, others to, to have a similar experience. I have not worked for my alma mater. 
I have warm feelings for my alma mater, but you know, I've worked at two institutions and neither one of them was that place. But I've been able to find value. I've been able to find a vision uh, associated with a mission that I can support and, and help to enact. And that has come at a place that I didn't attend. I never took a class. I never was in a lab or you know, had to sleep in a residence hall there. And yet I was able to help hundreds upon hundreds of people come and have those experiences. And I'm able to connect with people that have now had those experiences and help them move on to what's next. Uh, and so sometimes people feel like, you know, it's, it's alma mater or nothing. And, and I, I would hope that, that no one would get caught up into that because uh, there's a lot of great institutions. Everybody has something that they offer and uh, to be able to be a part of that, even in a place that you didn't go, can, can be really rewarding. Thank you to Jared for donating his time to the show. If you or someone you know is interested in becoming a future guest, please email employedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.